Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. We are just a day away from seeing all the Gen 3 cars in action together for the first time, with the field set to hit Sydney Motorsport Park for the all-in test tomorrow. There will be live timing on the official Supercars website, and fans will have free access to the paddock and grandstands from 8am onwards. Declan Fraser won't be in action, however, having been sidelined by a bout of tonsillitis. His car will instead be driven by drivers out of the Tickford co-driver pool. We'll head to Sydney with all 25 cars having completed their shakedowns, with Team 18 the last to do so last Friday after being delayed by a day due to a steering wheel issue. There's been a number of new liveries unveiled in the last week as well, with James Golden to run new long colours, while Triple Eight has gone big on the red with its latest Red Bull Ampole look. Tickford unveiled Cam Waters' monster Mustang as well after getting that new deal across the line, as well as the tradey colours for Declan Fraser. Walkinshaw Andretti United has confirmed that Lee Holdsworth will return to its endurance lineup this season, reviving his 2021 Bathurst winning partnership with Chaz Mostert. Fabian Coulthard has been retained. He'll move into the number two entry alongside Nick Perkett, while Warren Luff remains as a contractor driver amid speculation of an enduro wildcard. We'll have more on that later in the show. The Gen 3 prototypes will be back on the runway for some last-minute aero testing next week as Supercars looks to lock down homologation before Newcastle. The Speed Series season kicks off this weekend with the Race Tasmania event at Simmons Plains. In TCR Australia, Will Brown has landed a new deal with Melbourne Performance Centre to race a later spec Audi, while BTCC race winner Tom Oliphant's Alpha deal has also been confirmed. There are some big late ins for S5000, meanwhile with Joey Mawson returning to take a shot at a third straight Gold Star title, he'll be joined in the field by Super 2 regular Matt McLean and ex-Formula 1 driver Roberto Meri. The Spaniard set for another cameo in the series. And at the Motorsport Australia Awards Night in Melbourne on Saturday, the Peter Brock Medal was awarded to Thomas Randall. Rally up-and-comer Taylor Gill won the Young Driver of the Year Award, while Supercars heavyweights Roland Dane and Ryan Story were among the Life Membership recipients. Brad and Kim Jones were awarded the highly prestigious Membership of Honour. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that I've heard was spotted on the back of a tilt trade truck in Sydney on Monday, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how are you this week, my friend? Hello, Andrew. You've forgotten a couple of important award winners there. Both Did yourself I? and the V8 Sleuth editorial team picked up mm. awards. Um, you, you were actually there in person. How was the night? It was a good night. No, no, it was uh, it was good fun. It was the first like in person one they've had since 2020. So it was uh, it was you know fun to get along and rub shoulders with a few people and just have a bit of fun. I feel like it shows that no one from Motorsport Australia actually listens to this podcast, unfortunately. If they heard you 
bagging the super license system and the gold star and everything that you talk about on here, I, they wouldn't have let you within five kilometers of the place. Forget about give you an award. Well, look, um, we did actually enter, you know, the pot into the digital media category and we didn't win. So that may well have something to do with that, I reckon. I would not be surprised. There you go. There you go. Anyway, <laughs> let's uh, let's crack in to some of the news this week. We're very much on the home stretch with this Gen 3 rollout, Steph, and although there's still a little bit to play out yet, uh, we know that teams are still working on solutions to two separate wheel-related issues. One is the retaining clip that we discussed last week, and the other is some issues with mounting cold rims onto a hot hub. Uh, and the parody saga just continues to bubble away on the eve of the season with a mini VCAT set to take place next week. That'll be sort of one final chance to to ease the concerns held by Ford over the relative performance of the Mustang compared to the Camaro. Stefan, it's kind of becoming clearer that the aero issue is balance rather than overall downforce numbers. I did hear whispers that part of the feedback from the driver swap that happened at QR where Shane Van Gisbergen drove the Ford and James Courtney drove the Camaro, was that the Mustang will make a good qualifying car but might not be great over a race distance. I mean, can we really expect this not to be a factor or at least a talking point once the season gets underway? Oh, it'll absolutely drag on and you can bet aero parity will be a bigger talking point at a place like Albert Park, uh, mm. more so than Newcastle, because yeah, sure. there's no way this Newcastle 500 is going to be won based on aero. But I think it, it's just an extraordinary situation that the sport is in at the moment, and it's all incredibly political, perhaps more so than it's ever been. I mean, the onus is on supercars to ensure technical parity. Like, yep. we all get that. But I just can't shake the impression that the tail is wagging the dog a bit here like supercars went through its vcat and declared parity under all the measuring sticks that are in place and ever since then the onus of proof seems to have rested on supercars to go and justify those numbers back to ford it's just such an interesting power dynamic between a series and a competitor what what do you make of it yeah, it is. It's obviously an interesting situation and you can't have competitors trying to manipulate these things. I mean, we've kind of seen that in the past, you know, with the with the Gen 2 Mustang in 2019. But at the same time, I just don't feel like the sport can really afford to have another 2019 where we're chopping and changing parity throughout the season and there are all these question marks and, you know, issues hanging over the performance of the car. So I think it's something they do have to definitely take seriously, but – you know, I totally get what you're saying. At some point, they need to back their system and say, well, this is it. We're happy with this. Let's go motor racing. So, yeah, look, it'll be interesting to see exactly where we land and if there are any changes to the cars. But I just think that because we went through 2019, they've just got to get it right. I mean, selfishly, from a media perspective, you know, I hope they get it really wrong because that's just click central. But – you know, I think I think for the sport, and you know, as we're welcoming this new generation, I, I I don't hate the idea that they're really trying to do it right and get it right. Yeah, I mean, don't forget there's a system in place as well in season of monitoring the lap times and acting yeah. if it hits the trigger point. And unfortunately, that's um, yeah, there's a bit of secrecy around exactly what those numbers are. But um, you know, if if we get racing, then there's at least more data points than just uh, you know a rushed. Um, hit out at Queensland Raceway and then a quick second VCAT to be making big decisions on. And and don't forget as well, I mean, they're actually waging this war on two fronts, aero and engine. Yeah. 
which yeah. which is sort of going on a bit more quietly. But, you know, there's talk that Ford want to be given more horsepower, that they want to actually be able to break that accumulated engine power number to counter the drivability issues that they have they seem to have with that motor. And, yeah, I, I don't know what the right outcome is here, but certainly from an optics point of view, taking a sledgehammer to all your processes right before the first round would be massively brave. And, yeah. and I just don't know what happens if, if Ford doesn't get its way on some of this stuff that it wants. Like, do they just end up pulling the homologation right before Newcastle like they, they do seem to have all the power here pardon the pun yeah and that's I guess that's always been the issue and we saw that in 2019 as well where it wasn't necessarily Ford at that point but there was certainly a lot of influence being thrown around by Roger Penske about you know well you know could this affect his future in the sport when certain decisions were being made on things so I guess that is always a powerful tool for a manufacturer to have we've only got two manufacturers Ford is Certainly, you know, outward, you know, what you see so the most actively involved. Um, I guess that's that's a pretty big stick to threaten with when you're uh, when you're trying to get your way on these things. Yeah, it's just a shame that this is this is clouding this Gen Three rollout now because of all the effort that's gone in for the teams and how exciting it is. But yep. this is uh, this is a big cloud over it as we sit here right now. Well, speaking of big clouds over things, Stefan, there sounds like there might be a pretty big one over uh, Sydney Motorsport Park tomorrow. I did notice a few of the cars are running without wipers and shakedowns uh, and that sort of stuff. So I, uh, I would reckon teams have there been There was people running sure. without dashboards and shakedowns as well. So There was. There <laughs> definitely was. So, uh, yeah, you'd hope they'd fix some of those things. But wipers might have become a bit more of a priority as this, uh, <laughs> as this weather forecast has kind of come to uh, come to light. Um, like hey, this, this wet weather – Running, I mean, that could really affect the preparation for the teams. I mean, it's hard to see wet weather running being all that useful when they only have the old spec wet tyre at their disposal, right? What do you reckon? Yeah, and there's been a bit of talk that the old spec, which is a lot harder compound than the new wet, um, doesn't work too well on these Gen 3 cars because of how how light they are relative. So, um, yeah, how much meaningful running we'd get. Um, if it rains is a bit unknown like I'm, I'm sure they can iron out a few of those those bugs those niggly things you see with with wipers and there's demisters now yeah. back on the cars with these rules so there'd be a little bit of value but certainly I mean the teams would want it to be dry no doubt well we've seen a few new gen 3 liveries since we last spoke Stefan uh, a definite change of pace for triple eight with that extra red on their car for this year and Tickford has clearly got that monster deal across the line following plenty chat about some licensing issues and, you know, things along those lines. Um, Stefan, what's caught your eye in the unveilings that we've had in the last few days? Well, I think the overall impression, and I know that Peter Adderton has made this point on social media as well, is that the Mustang shape, I think, wears the logos a little bit better than the Camaro. Mm-hmm. Like both are clearly more challenging from a branding perspective than the old cars, just because of yep. the complexity of those road car surfaces. But it certainly looks like it's been harder to make a Camaro livery work in terms of design and sponsor placements. Um, and just going back to actually something we mentioned last week, the other thing is like how these cars look on track. We're talking about how great the stance is and the presence and all that. And I'm just really intrigued to see how that translates to Newcastle because you look yep. at some of these, some of the stuff that's come out from the tests and some are running so low, particularly in the rear. You eyeball it and wonder how different they'll need to run them in Newcastle to cop the curbs and, and so on. 
Yeah, that'll be interesting. And the, the thing is with the old cars, they looked so good when they were hammering curbs. That was really where they were at their best and looked so aggressive themselves. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see what sort of impression we get from these cars because obviously the styling is just generally less aggressive. Like it's without the aero, that is a little bit less aggressive. So, yeah, it'll certainly be interesting to see once we actually get racing. Yeah, the styling's aggressive, but we'll see if the drivers uh, have to rein it back a bit, especially in Newcastle. Like, yeah, I saw Brad Jones mentioned recently that the front bar on those Camaros is like twelve and a half grand. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, whether you've got spare ones in the truck or not, you're probably not going to want to smash up too many uh, through the year. But now that we've seen um, pretty much the full field, Tim Slade's car, we don't think actually has a primary sponsor, so they haven't unveiled yet, but. We've effectively seen the whole show. What's Give us your top three of best presented for this year. Ooh, top three. All right, the, the monster car just has to go first. Like that just looks that just looks tough. And they did a good job of the photography on that car with the launch photos. It looks really good. So, so you've gone with a black wheels car for, for I know, one. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. That's always Actually, that's kind of the we should, irony. We should of ask. They, they launched it with black wheels, but um, I assume they'll run it that way. Yeah, um, but I know that's always the irony of this thing is we, we – we, bag black wheels but then probably the best looking car in the field has black wheels it works on that livery doesn't work on any other one anyway okay so i'm gonna go monster number one number two i'm just going with that rnj batteries car i just never thought that i'd be mentioning that in the top <laughs> three of any sort of livery countdown ever but it just they just nailed the execution of that car it looks so so good so uh, i'm gonna go that with number two and number three i'm going to i'm gonna go with the castro car I, I like knew the that Castrol car. You knew it, yeah. Look, I just <laughs> think it's – I'm not – that's nothing to do with our sponsor. I just think it's a good-looking car. I think it's a – I think it's a big a big upgrade on the Castrol livery last year. So, yeah, there's my top three. What do you got? Yeah, I think for me it's Cool Drive, Shell, and Castrol. I think those uh, three cars are probably the – the winners, um, yeah, and I guess two of those suggest I don't like change too much, but uh, but that's all right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, it's been a bit of an open secret for a while now, Stefan, but Lee Holdsworth is heading back to WAU for the Supercars Enduros this season. He will be reunited with Chaz Mostert. Fab shifts over to Nick Perkett's car and 9,000-time Bathurst podium finisher Luffy. <laughs> well, that's where things get interesting. So according to WAU, he remains, as a, he remains as a contracted driver this season. Part of his deal is mentoring Zach Bates and Ryan Wood in the WAU Super 2 Program Now, my understanding is that plan A is to run a wildcard for the Enduros for Luffy and a second driver. Who that may be is not yet settled, but I guess between the Andretti and the United side of the business, there's a decent pool of high-profile overseas talent to look at. Uh, speaking of that, Stefan, who do you reckon they should try and get to uh, to partner Luffy in the WAU wildcard? Yeah, it'd certainly be fun if they brought in a high-profile international. It's something that's uh, really been missing from the race the last couple of years. And I think the the top of the wish list, at least from uh, from the outside, looking at what Andretti's got in their stable, would be Colton Herter, 
who's uh, part of their IndyCar team. And from memory, he was actually tabbed to come and run in that WAU wildcard back yeah. in 2019, but yeah. then he couldn't do it due to a date clash. Um, but, yeah, as you say, like you, you mentioned plan A was your term. Yeah, I do think it's early stages on this. It's it's a hope at this point. I don't think it's yeah. something they've got a deal done on that they're just waiting no, to no. announce. So Luffy's primary role there at WAU is to look after those Super 2 kids through the season. And, yeah, it'll be interesting to see when they make a call on this wild card. And, you know, if it doesn't get up, do they loan Luffy somewhere else or, or what happens there? Well, I grabbed WAU team principal Bruce Stewart to chat about the Enduro plans as well as the rollout of the team's first Mustangs, and here's what he had to say. Let's start with the um, with the excellent news that you've reclaimed the services of Lee Holdsworth for the endurance races this year. I guess you just lured him back with the promise of another Bathurst win. <laughs> yeah, I'd love. <laughs> well, if he if he would have bought that, then maybe I would have sold it to him. But you know. Um, yeah, certainly he's just an awesome guy culturally around the team, super talented, um, works really well with our engineers and our team, fits in very well and, and obviously um, his last race did pretty well with Chaz, so uh, it's great to have Holdsy back in um, and we, you know, we're keen to see how he went when he went, got his uh, last run in the main game and, and saw his career out the, um, the right way, so um, to get him back in the team is awesome. I can't uh, say how, how good a thing it is for us, um, both on and off track. I mean, it's a it's a heck of an enduro lineup you've got there now between him and Fabs. That must be pretty exciting. I mean, we're a long way out from the long distance races now, but yeah, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it is. And Fabs um, is also equally uh, an awesome steerer and did a great job with Mozzie um, last year. Um, so you've got, um, you know, just A-graders in your uh, co-drivers to uh, fit them pretty well with your main game guys. So, yeah, it's it's exciting. You've kept Luffy on the books as a contracted driver. Yep. There's been a bit of speculation about a wildcard entry for the Enduros. Can you shed any light on what the plan for Luffy is across this season? Well, I, I think uh, first and foremost, Luffy uh, will be uh, coaching and uh, being a real aid to our Super 2 drivers. And anyone who's been at a racetrack would see that Luffy uh, does a lot of that also on the Porsche series. Um, but And he's just a great, great person. And I'm going to say it again, culturally around the team. Yeah. Um, and he... Uh, I think he just has a really good knack of being able to get the right message into young uh, guys and girls when they're on the way up in motorsport. So excited about that. Certainly um, having him there as uh, another driver on our books opens up a whole raft of opportunities, but I'm not going to go into any speculation AVL because uh, <laughs> when we want to say something, we will. Yep, that, uh, I thought that might be the answer. Um, tell me about that moment of, uh, of watching those WAU Mustangs roll out at Winton the other week. I mean, after all the work that's gone into both, you know, putting the Ford deal together and then this Gen 3 build, which has been so tough on the crews, that must have been a pretty special moment. Yeah, it was. It was. And what a hump to get through in regard to getting these cars built. And I mean it sincerely up and down the pit lane. Like I, I was on the wall there watching a few of the cars and it occurred to me how much time mechanics, engineers, team people from every team have spent trying to um, bring this to life. And to see all those cars on there, uh, you know, a week ago is like wow, a testament to the power of the teams and how they can work together and work super hard through weekends, Australia days, Christmases and all of those kind of things to uh, bring the show to life. So um, 
and, and that for us, it was uh, especially proud to uh, put these new cars out there. I think the liveries uh, are pretty biased, look fantastic, but equally, um, yeah, it has been a huge hump. And uh, yeah, there's a level of pride in our team of being part of a good team. How has the running with the new cars been so far? Do you sort of feel that you guys are on top of things Gen Three wise, as to you know, as much as you can be to this point? I don't think you could ever say you're on top of things. Yeah. Like we're still learning these cars and we're still trying to understand opportunities and areas of danger or challenge in our cars, you know, and so the more running we can have, the better. And so looking forward to SMP, um, but equally uh, potentially another test uh, after SMP before Newcastle. So in that respect, uh, the more you spend in them and you get your drivers to understand the areas of opportunity and, you know, um, also you just ensure that the build is uh, right up there for consistency, then um, that's going to suit you well once you get to a pretty tough track at Newcastle. What are you expecting from Sydney tomorrow? I mean, there's been talk of a bit of a weather around, you know, how do you think the day is going to roll out? Look, um, I think we just got to take, uh, come what may, it comes at us. And um, I've been around this too long to try and project how it's all going to turn out because 95% of the time it turns out differently. Um, but I think one of the things I do expect is that our team shows resilience and um, maximises whatever opportunities we have when we go uh, testing to uh, move our car forwards and then accept those challenges and, and roll forwards, you know, like you can um, cry all you want about the weather, but um, you can't change it. Is there any sort of concern that, you know, with this Ford uh, parody thing sort of still bubbling away a little bit, there will be some more runway running at some point, I think next week, you know, that you might end up working with a slightly different package to what you've run now, or do you not anticipate changes to be big enough to make a big difference? Wow, <laughs> a hard-hitting amount of inquisitive <laughs> new AVL. Um, look, I'm not going to enter into that conversation. That's uh, happening uh, with the Molligation teams and supercars. It's not really for me to comment. Uh, Stefan, the Speed Series kicks off this weekend with Race Tasmania at Simmons Plains. Now, let's just run through some grid numbers. We have 19 cars for Trans Am, which isn't bad in the scheme of things. But 14 TCR cars, 11 S5000, which, okay, that's not bad either, and 11 Touring Car Masters. Like, yeah, the, the S5000 grid is pretty good, to be honest, but TCR and TCM, that seems pretty thin. Now, all indications are that the grids, in particular TCR and TCM and Trans Am, will grow significantly when the series gets back to the mainland. But it kind of makes me ponder whether starting the season so early in the year with what is the Aussie equivalent of a flyaway race, one of the more expensive rounds, right at a time when everyone's still trying to get their budgets in place. You know, is it a formula that works? What do you reckon? Oh, I mean, I think you've summed it up right there. Those are the the issues with it. There's obviously a desire to have Race Tasmania at this time of year to take advantage of some warmer weather. And it is a government-backed event, so I'm sure there's some shared vision there with, with ARG. Um, you know, and we've both been there for some bitterly cold supercars events, so yeah. so we get it. But yeah. starting yeah, we, the season, we, we, in- we might not be questioning this when we're there <laughs> mid-May this year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, does it work for the competitors? That's the question here. And going by those entry numbers, you'd have to question it. But but we'll see. Like we're hoping these low car counts for things like TCR are event specific, and it does bounce back quickly because the elephant in the room. If not, is the stand deal 
I mean, it's the second yep. year of that. Competitors have had to put their commercial packages together around it. Yep. And we'll see as the year goes on really what effect that has had. Yeah, I mean, at least last year, guys could have sold something on free-to-air and then uh, and then it all happened so late. At least they could have gone out and done their, oh, yeah. done their work in the market and then maybe have to backtrack a little bit. But now they're actually trying to sell with that TV package. That would definitely be a challenge. To me, the shining light is actually S5000 while we're just going to – Praise Black Wheels. We may as well just praise S5000 as well. I think Motorsport uh, Australia has gotten to you. I, I, I never thought I'd hear this. Things must uh, be grim uh, if this is your highlight. <laughs> no, it is. Like it's. Um, I think that's it's actually not a bad field that they've got um, for that. You know, Joey Mawson coming back. Um, you know, there'll be guys like Aaron Cameron and Jordan Boys who you think will really want to try and take the fight to him and stop him winning that third gold star title and then you've got the wild card of you know roberto mary coming back for another cameo uh what are you looking forward to seeing from the speed series over the weekend Stefan? well i'm a trans am fan as you know and i think mm-hmm. the battle there is really the best storyline out of this speed series package like nathan hearn has moved on so owen kelly is the logical favorite for the title he's really the benchmark and he's with grm which is uh, no doubt the form team but you've got some great young guys coming in from Super 2, Jay Robotham and Tyler Everingham. So they should give him a pretty big run. And James Moffat's come across from TCR. And then for this weekend, Tim Slade's in the mix as a one-off. Um, there's a pretty handy Tassie local in there, Adam Garwood. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other Trans Am regulars that could challenge like Jet Johnson, Ben Grice and, and all of those sorts of guys. So I think this is a battle well worth tuning in for. All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. won the 65th running of the Daytona at 500, the longest in the history of the race. It ended under a caution with Stenhouse just ahead of Joey Logano. Richard, for sure, led the way in FIA F2 testing in Bahrain with Jack Doohan setting the seventh fastest time from the three days, while Gregoire Saucy led the way in F3 testing. And Formula One testing kicks off in Bahrain later this week, ahead of the first Grand Prix at the same venue in early March. Lance Stroll won't be in action, though, after being in injured in a bike accident while training in Spain. Uh, Stefan, we're through the F1 launch season now. That's all done and dusted. What has caught your eye heading into this first test? What are you expecting to see? Yeah, well, that uh, that stroll news broke overnight, so that's obviously um, a pretty big story there. But um, from, from that launch period in general, I, I think the story uh, has been around so much black on the cars up and yeah. down the field, including obviously the Mercedes going all black. And it's been well publicized that this is because teams are running unpainted carbon fiber to save a bit of, a bit of weight. Yeah. I've seen a few people say the FIA needs to increase the minimum weight to avoid this. But to be honest, I don't, I don't mind the look of a bit of carbon. And it's not like the cars are super hard to tell apart. No. You, no. you look at the modern F1 car is already so heavy like they're over 900 kilos sitting on the grid with full fuel and that the actual minimum car weight has gone up 150 kilos in the last decade so i wouldn't want to see them uh, just yeah continually increasing that no they should be making them smaller and lighter definitely not bigger and definitely not heavy like you say i don't know their carbon looks quite good their cars teams have all found different ways to go about doing that so yeah i think that's absolutely fine but yeah look it's been interesting i think you sort of look at 
you look at the, the 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 communication that's coming out of the individual camps. You know, I would be a little. You know, McLaren seem pretty pessimistic about where they're at with their launch spec car and what they're going to roll into the start of the season with. They're obviously waiting for their new wind tunnel to come online and that sort of stuff. So. You know, I think that's maybe a little concerning for Oscar Piastri heading into his first season. Um, then you've got Aston Martin and Ferrari being really optimistic um, about where they're at. Mercedes, I guess we don't quite know. You just you just don't expect them to have another 2022. It just feels impossible mm-hmm. that they're not going to find something and that they're going to come out stronger this year. And then I think the dark horse is the Red Bull, and they're just saying – well, not the dark horse. They're obviously like the overwhelming favourite, but the fact that they're just I was wondering like, where you're going with that. Yeah. They're, they're not um, playing some parody game now that they've no, got Ford connections, no, are they? No, um, no, but they're they're really just saying absolutely nothing, which I think you'd be pretty worried about if you were any of the other teams, um, because they seem pretty content to just sit back and wait for testing to start, and uh, they probably may well not show their hand until Q3 in Bahrain when the Grand Prix weekend's on. So, uh, yeah. There's a, there'll be some concerned teams, I think. Okay, Castro mailbag time. So after we enjoyed the unpopular opinions a few weeks back so much, we decided to try something else new this week, and we asked you for your pet motor racing peeves. Now, we've got nearly 700 responses, and we've only got room for 10, so we might have to get to a few <laughs> next week as well. Uh, anyway, here we go. Uh, Lee Ellis says, uh, celebrities who get priority access at events who have little to no idea about the sport, then you have the true fans who miss out on something they would have remembered forever. I guess that's a fair enough point. Like There is probably people that would enjoy going on the grid a lot more than celebrities, but if you're an event promoter and you're trying to promote something as like a big event that celebrities want to go to, they kind of need that prominence, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, there is some upside for the sport there in terms of uh, celebrities and especially in the age of influencers that uh, they can actually reach new audiences. But there is no doubt that it can be absolutely cringe. Uh, Anyone who's watched uh, Martin Brundle's grid walks uh, before the F1 races, holy smokes, there's a menagerie of uh, so-called celebrities just uh, wandering about. And for sure, it'd be cool to see uh, actual fans get some uh, some of those opportunities. Yeah, and I think they should definitely like if they give are given that access, they should be made to work for it. If like they want, you know, they should there should be a way that they're they're going to get the TV time that Martin can do those interviews and that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a bizarre situation where uh, he gets brushed uh, by some of these critters. Yeah, uh, Daniel Sibiris says uh, his pet peeve is the lack of reporting of motorsport news in the media. Um, For example, new car launches, testing, all that stuff is completely ignored by the morning news on major networks. Uh, Yeah, it is. And that would be, you know, that is a challenge that the sport has faced for quite a long time now. And I think even if you look back at, you know, you look back at the WAU Ford defection last year, it wasn't the back of the paper news that it might have been in if it had happened in 2001, you know. Yeah, this is another great pet peeve because it is a frustration of the industry and there's people in the industry that work incredibly hard to um, try to get into the mainstream with some success, but it's uh, it's limited, unfortunately, um, and there's all sorts of reasons why. But, uh, yeah, the, the good thing for, for the fan is that uh, there's plenty of specialist media around um, in which they can consume uh, news and so on. Absolutely. Uh, Pete Tant says, time certain finishes. What do you reckon? What's your take on that one? 
yeah, it's um, it's it's that like it's a pet peeve of pretty much everyone, isn't yeah. it? And it's unfortunately just become part of the sport. It's death taxes and time certain finishes. So yep. um, yeah, there's there's not really any getting away from it in the no. world of uh, broadcasting and all that sort of thing. Uh, Mark Wilson, his pet peeve is having Bathurst and Sandown as part of the Supercars Championship. They should be standalone races like they were, and then drivers can go for the win rather than settling for a required number of points or being scared of a DNF. Uh, and while we're at it, how can you have endurance racing without multiple classes? I do not want to talk about classes in the Bathurst 1000. Like, that's n- no, we don't need to have that discussion. That means I do want to talk about it. What's, uh, what's uh, your pet peeve on that? Oh, I just think that, you know, the idea that a multi-class Bathurst 1000 was better than the product that we have now, you know, I just don't agree with that. Yeah, it's just evolved beyond it, but it's, it's good that we have races like the Bathurst 6 Hour that um, do have that element in it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, going back to the earlier point, it's it's an interesting one. I don't think this is as cut and dry as uh, some of the other pet peeves earlier on about whether Sandown and Bathurst should be part of the championship. Mm. Like it's just in, so like commercially important that it's all one package. Um, I don't think it's going to change. I don't think they'll they'll take it out. No. But, you know, and I do like the history of it being separate, but I think as long as Bathurst isn't the last round, I'm okay with it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Anthony Kernich says, people who think that winning a race at Daytona or Talladega makes you a legend. I don't know that I understand why that's a pet peeve. Well, I mean, there's no doubt that there's a lot of luck in those plate races. Yeah, I guess. And you look at the last three Daytona 500 winners, McDowell, Sindrick, Stenhouse, I think they've got five cup wins between them, including those three Daytona wins. <laughs> so it's bringing out some uh, wild results. But then, then you look at Denny Hamlin, he won three of the five before that. So you can luck in one but you probably can't lucky in three. Like he's clearly yeah. making the right moves and at least stacking the odds in his favour. But, yeah, at the end of the day, if you win the Daytona 500, I think uh, you're a big part of history regardless of uh, how many times you won it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Mark Yaxley says, uh, supercar's not closing the pit lane under safety car. That is just not a good idea. It's not a good idea. I think I'm sure we've discussed this before. It's just not a good idea to go down that path because you're going to box everyone into a strategy where they are going to pit the second that the pit window opens in case you get stranded by a safety car. Um, so it just doesn't, it's just not conducive with a good racing product. Yeah, we have discussed that a few times before, but it's, uh, yeah, it's worth going over it every time because I think it's just one of the biggest myths out there that yeah. that is a good idea and it isn't for the exact reason you just gave. Yeah. Uh, Richard Westhead says, the behavior of Supercars fans on social media, the childishness and toxicity seen whenever Supercars content appears is just pathetic and lessens one's enjoyment in the category. Well, obviously, you don't want toxic stuff going out on social media, but you know, you and I have spoken about this before, this exact matter, that we also need to allow there to be some tribalism and allow fans to, to show their colors and support their team. And part of supporting a team is usually not liking the other team or teams or however you view or wherever your allegiances lie with a manufacturer or an individual team. I mean, you don't like the, you know, when your footy team's playing, you don't like the other team. You sort of, yeah. So I think we always need to just keep some perspective on that sort of stuff. Yeah, and it's, it's a society-wide issue. 
Like when there's yeah. no accountability, then grubs are going to come to the surface. Um, it's it's ugly, but also at the same point, um, like yeah, uh, Richard, like don't let this ruin your enjoyment of, of yeah. racing. Like yeah. it's it's Just definitely not uh, not worth that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, the next one is from Colonel Sanders, and I'm not 100 percent sure that's his real name, but anyway. Uh, he says uh, his pet peeve is during telecasts such as V8s and MotoGP when something like an overtake is happening and they cut to the reaction of a team member and don't stick with the actual action. Um, yeah, I suppose you want to be able to uh, to see the action first, I guess. Oh, I'm 100% on board with this pet peeve. It is so frustrating that the fan or garage cutaway has just become so overused like it's good at the right moment, but it can just kill a moment as well when you're trying to watch the action. It's yeah, it's an absolute own own goal for directors. Mark Russell says the money spent on temporary tracks while the established tracks are ignored. You know, there's always some legitimacy to that point, but at the same time, you know, I don't think you could take the supercars calendar and say, well, we'll take the Gold Coast out and put, for example, Winton in and it'll be as good. You know, you need some of those high-profile street circuits. Yeah, there's no definitive uh, sort of response to this one, but the, the street races do come with a lot of benefits. You can't ignore that. And a lot of the government money that's spent on them would never be spent on a permanent racetrack. So there's that point first and foremost. But then you do look at, say, what the Northern Territory government has done for the last 25 years now with Hidden Valley, constantly upgrading that place and that's that's a great model that um yeah really should be uh, should be looked at uh craig andrew england says his one pet peeve is numbers on the freaking doors of v8 supercars i assume he means he wants numbers on the doors um man imagine with these like these sort of fairly shallow mustangs and camaros trying to get a number on the door and then whack all those sponsors on as well yeah, this is such a passion point for, for so many fans, which I find um, really interesting because I'm big on the history and the nostalgia, but I've never quite gotten this one. And I yeah. guess it's a little bit because as time went by in the 2000s, teams were allowed to get rid of the big, ugly number box and sort of try to integrate the numbers into their liveries. But then it just got really messy and hard to read. And and yeah, so they ended up on, on the side window and then later on, on the windscreen as well, which I think is has been good for, for telling the cars apart. So, yeah, I, I sort of like it how, how it is now. Yeah, I've got absolutely no absolutely no problem with it. But, um, but then teams, teams can still um, put numbers on the doors if they want, like Walkinshaw have done. And um, even uh, we were talking about the livery on the Walkinshaw cars last week and you see um, Chaz Mostert's car has the little number – 25 in the position that um, Alan Moffat's Mustang had Boss 302 written. It's just a really nice, tiny little detail on on that livery that uh, we didn't point out last week. So anyway, keep uh, keep going. All right. So David Roberts says his pet peeve is people who insist that the current Bathurst 1000 race is a continuation of the great race, despite Tony Cochran stating very clearly in 1997 that the Supercar 1000 was a new race and not at all related to the race run by the ARDC. Me personally, I just couldn't care about anything less than this whole like the ATCC isn't V8 supercars and this whole Bathurst and what was the real Bathurst. I just don't care. I just don't care. It's a continuation of the top tier of touring car racing or effectively professional motorsport in this country. That's all that matters. 
Yeah, I mean, if, if supercars went that way and just started the Bathurst history books in 97, the rest of it just gets lost over Correct. time because there's yeah. no modern relevance. So all those legends, all that history would just be pushed to the side and hardly ever be referenced. And to me, the Bathurst 1000 is about so much more than who holds the TV rights or who has the promoter's yep. contract. Like, it's Australia's great race. It's the people's race. And that's what the split in 97 really proved. Like, the people voted with their feet on it. So yep. supercars are now the custodians of it, and they should acknowledge its full history. Yep. Could not agree more. All righty. Let's hand out some Castrol stars of the week. Stefan, this week my star is headed to the Davison Korean household on the Gold Coast following the wonderful news that they are expecting a baby. Just adding to the chances that we'll see some fourth-generation Davos in action at some point. Where is your Castrol star heading this week? Well, no pressure there. You've uh, you put that one out there early. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm giving my star of the week to the owners of JTG Doherty Racing, mm-hmm. Tad and Jody Geschechter, and also Brad Doherty. A single-car team winning the Daytona 500 is a great underdog story. And don't forget that JTG entered the Cup Series full-time with Marcus Ambrose back in 2009. They gave Marcus his big shot, and their only win prior to Sunday was actually with Marcus in 2014 at Watkins Glen. So Daytona was a massive reward for JTG's staying power over recent years when they could have uh, they could have just cashed out. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast, and we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.